This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he a strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. This is podcast number four, Tuesday, September 27th on the Bet Rivers Network. Thanks uh, so much to everybody who has tuned in so far. A uh, lot more great stuff uh, to come. So let's start it out today with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, what they're doing to the NFL. Uh, the Eagles have been decidedly superior to each opponent they have played this year. What does it all mean? Well, let's discuss. First of all, let's break it down. Jalen Hurts has turned into a bona fide NFL quarterback, at least through three games. I mean, that was the big question everybody had, and he has made market strides towards that to the point where, like, all the dynamics and all the metrics that you see, Hertz is right up there at the tops in the league. In the last game, 22 of 35 for 340 yards against the Washington Commanders, uh, 123.5 rating. That is a special stop. Uh, he is obviously being helped by the addition of another wide receiver as dynamic as A.J. Brown. And uh, Devontae uh, Smith and A.J. Brown seem to be unstoppable. When you had Goddard in there, that three-headed monster receivers really rounds out an offense. They've got a good running game, and now he's delivering the football with accuracy and uh, with purpose. So that's all good. Now, here's the question that has come up three games in. Now we're talking about. Do you invest in Jalen Hurts to a long-term contract? Do you do it now? Have you seen enough? You know, the Eagles, they like to get in early, and they like to get a bargain. And so is now the time that they give him the long-term deal, maybe at, at a lesser rate than, than a monster quarterback contract that you see around the league? Uh, we'll see if they do that. We'll see if he's receptive to that. All right, let's look at the defense. Because this is a much maligned area. They added some personnel, but there was always questions whether the defensive coordinator could handle what they brought to the table. They are getting pressure with a four-man rush. And anybody around the league will tell you, if you're getting pressure with a four-man rush, you can cover on the back end a lot better. They don't need blitzes to get to the quarterback. 
But I got to be honest, Jonathan Gannon has had some well-timed blitzes. So not only is Hurts growing on people, but Jonathan Gannon, of all people, is growing on people. So uh, this is where the Eagles are. Nine sacks in the game. Brandon Graham comes alive and, and gets a two and a half sacks. They, they got Hassan Reddick on the board finally. And Josh Sweat is looking good. Uh, they're just uh, kicking on all cylinders. And the power rankings have come out to that. The Eagles are two. They're behind the Miami Dolphins. And, and only probably because the Dolphins have played better competition. The Eagles are two in the league in power ranking right now. Uh, are they the best team in the NFC? Well, the power rankings said they are. And here's another thing. The Athletic, they have a metrics guy who extrapolates data. And he extrapolates the Vegas data. And by his metrics, the Eagles will project as a favorite in every remaining game this year. And they're the only team in the NFL with that distinction so far. Now, we can go down the schedule if you would like. And you tell me where they're going to lose. They're obviously going to lose. I'm not going to be an idiot and say that they're going to run the table, go 17-0. But if they're going to be a favorite in every game, let's take a closer look at who they could possibly lose to. The Jags at home next week. Now, this is an interesting story, and we'll talk about that as we go around the NFL. The Jags are better than they, they used to be. But are the Jaguars going to come in here? Ah, Doug Peterson factor, all that stuff. Are they going to come in here to Lincoln Financial Field beat the Eagles next week? Only if the Eagles are, like, smelling themselves, and only if the Eagles are looking ahead to the following week game at Arizona, which by measures should be a tougher game than the Jaguars. All right, so you got the Jags. At the Cardinals, that's a possible loss. If they rattle off four wins in a row and they go to Arizona, they're ripe to get beat. So that might be a loss. Cowboys at home, I guess that could be a loss. I don't know. They're going to split with the Cowboys. The Steelers stink. They're playing them at home. Then we go at the Texans. They're putrid. The Commanders, again, we already saw what they they have. Then at the Colts, maybe a loss. The Packers at home, maybe a loss. Titans at home, eh. At the Giants, I don't know. Maybe if, they're, if you think they're going to split with the Giants, maybe they can lose that game. At the Bears, they won't lose that game. At the Cowboys, again, that's either either or a split. And then it's the Saints at home and the Giants at home. How many losses are on the schedule? Listen, I, I can be honest with you. I'll take 12 and 5, which is what it looks like. At, at worst, 12 and 5. And if they 12 and 5, that might be enough for the number one seed as you go into the playoffs. You get the number one seed, home field advantage the whole way. That's a major advantage so we'll continue to follow that i could tell you right now that the town is is really in a, in a good spirits right now at the philadelphia eagles with a chance and you can give these people a chance in this town that there could be a championship team in their midst they're gonna go crazy this is gonna be a fun uh, from week to week thing uh okay let's backtrack and let's talk about carson wentz for a minute carson wentz is putrid and and i never thought that i would see him be this bad but I'm now convinced that we have seen the very best of Carson Wentz, and it is over for the lad. He's 29 years old now. That's a lot of time in the NFL, a lot of time to correct your mistakes, and he still makes the same mistakes. He holds on to the ball too long. He doesn't protect the ball in the pocket when he's trying to wriggle out. He he makes bad throws from time to time. He is every bit right now only a journeyman quarterback in the NFL, and there's nothing more we're going to see from Carson Wentz. And so I start to think, Boy, did we have it all wrong? Or at least did I have it all wrong? They selected him as the franchise quarterback. I thought it was a colossal mistake. 
when they brought in Jalen Hurts and drafted him in the second round. And all of a sudden, the fortunes have turned around. And either the Eagles are savvy or they're the luckiest SOBs on the face of the earth because nobody could have predicted that Carson Wentz would be the guy who's on the outs in this league and Jalen Hurts is the up-and-coming franchise quarterback. If you thought that, I, I nod to you because I never thought that at all. But you saw Carson Wentz. I mean, it's pathetic. I had to hide my eyes. And I wonder what the people in Washington are thinking, that that's the guy that has to be the quarterback. And I'll predict right now. By the time they play the Eagles the second time, the Carson Wentz won't be the quarterback. It, it will be my, I got a dog barking in the background here. This is live podcast, right? I got mayhem out there with people cutting the, cutting the lawn, and I got a dog barking. But anyway, <laughs> so, so here we go. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, uh, Taylor Heineke uh, will be the, the quarterback for the Washington Commanders uh, before long. Uh, Carson, yeah, listen, sorry, brother. But uh, you, you cooked your goose here. Uh, you messed up an entire situation here, thinking that you were better than you are, and you're not. And we have seen the decline and the eventual elimination of Carson Wentz as a viable NFL starter again. All right. Uh, since we're talking about the NFL, let's go around the NFL to something I like to do after an NFL weekend. These are five things that popped out to me as I, I watched the, the NFL uh, games uh, this weekend. So let's start with number one. The Packers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, uh, if you'll if you'll note, I selected the Packers to win this game. The line was telling me something at minus one for Tampa Bay. It told me the Packers were going to win it out, right? And they did. Uh, so here's the thing, though. The Tampa Bay Bucs with Tom Brady, uh, they get the touchdown. They need a two-point conversion to tie the game with seconds left. They get a delay of game penalty. A delay of game penalty. It sets them back. And, of course, he throws incomplete, and the Packers survive Tampa Bay. And I don't know how many, how many tablets he wrecked on the sidelines or how many helmets he threw, but uh, Tampa Bay loses. Their offense is suffering right now, and uh, we wonder how this is going to work out for Tom Brady for the rest of the year. Let's go to number two. Um, you, you probably will never find another week where I actually talk about the Detroit Lions, but I'm going to do it this week because the Lions had a chance to beat the Vikings. In fact, they had them beat. You know, these darlings from Hard Knocks had them beat until Cementhead, Dan Campbell, decided to go for a 54-yard field as he's flexing his muscles on the sideline. Let's go for a 54-yard field goal. That's right. And, and it's no good. So the Vikings take over at the, their own 44. After the game, Campbell says he made a mistake. Well, you don't have time to do that after the game, Holmes. You got to do that in real time. That's a bad decision. The Vikings start at a short field and get the ball down the field. And Kirk Cousins, our favorite quarterback, hits K.J. Osborne for a touchdown, and the Vikings win 28-24. Number three, I had a hunch about this game, and I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, sure, you had a hunch. I thought the Colts were going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And sure enough, after two lousy games where the Colts looked terrible, they rally and they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And here's the beauty of this game. He's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. Nobody really respects Matt Ryan. But here's the deal. 43 game-winning drives in his career. That is only second to guess who. That's right, Tom Brady. Brady has 53, and Matt Ryan has 43 game-winning drives, and they never won anything. So th there you go. He, he slays Kansas City on a, a final uh, drive again, and he hits Jelani Woods, 12-yard touchdown with 24 seconds left. The Colts shock the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's go to number four. 
the Bills lose to the Dolphins 21-19. All kinds of mayhem in this game. Let's first start with Tua. First half, he goes down. He bangs his head on the turf. Magically, there's no concussion protocol. And after the game, the coach says, well, it was just his back. His, his legs were kind of Gumby-like. I don't know. I've hit my head before. My legs get Gumby-like when I hit my head. So I don't know. The NFL is probably going to have to investigate. But that's second, the secondary issue. Tua plays the whole game for the Dolphins. And Tua looks pretty good this year. So here come the Bills with a chance to get the game-winning field goal. And, of course, Josh Allen, I think he might be the best quarterback in the league right now. It's arguable. He comes down. They messed up a clock situation earlier in the game. So here we go again. As they're trying to get several more yards to get into field goal range, here they are in a Russian clock management, the whole bit. And uh, uh, they're driving, and, and Isaiah McKenzie gets a short pass. If the play was messed up on the snap, but he gets a short pass. Hey, Isaiah, there's no timeouts left. You got to get out of bounds. He does not get out of bounds, so they have to quick get to the line. Maybe they have to clock it to get the field goal kicker on. Time runs out. Time runs out on the Bills. They lose 21 to 19. And uh, if you saw the shot on Twitter, offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, former Miami quarterback, goes nuts. Starts throwing stuff and, and ripping up his papers and all that stuff. Uh, Bills lose. They'll be back. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. Don't worry about it. But the Dolphins are the number one ranked team in the NFL. All right, let's go with number five. Uh-oh. The Jaguars, look out. Trevor Lawrence, 28 for 39, 262 yards. The, the kid has been unearthed by Dougie P. He's looking good after that Urban Meyer debacle. And watch this guy, James Robinson. He's a running back. Where'd he go? Illinois State. I don't know about him. 17 carries for 100 yards and a 50-yard rushing touchdown. Can the Jags beat the Eagles? It's very possible that they could possibly beat the Eagles. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a special guest. Of course, uh, you know him from the the old gang green, the most famous defense uh, in Philadelphia uh, Eagles history. And uh, he's my partner on the Eagles postgame show on uh, Jacob Media and 6ABC.com, the great Seth Joyner joins us. Hello, Seth. Mike, how you doing, my friend? We're, we're doing good. So let, let's, uh, let's roll, first of all, with what we've been witnessing so far with the Philadelphia Eagles. Three games, they've been dominant over every opponent so far. Uh, I know we, uh, we have a tendency to overreact, but what, what are you seeing right now with this team? Well, I'm seeing a quarterback grow right between, you know, right, right before my eyes. And, you know, he's quieting all his naysayers, quieting all the haters, all the people that said he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. He's doing exactly that, you know, right now. Um, and, and dare I say, you know, we, we might be seeing a, um, a defensive coordinator, you know, who's finally understanding that when you're not getting home with four, you're going to have to bring, you know, five or six in order to affect the quarterback from time to time. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest thing I see, to be honest with you, is when you, you, you listen to a third-year quarterback, he's 24 years old, and the rhetoric that he spews, he's got all the coach speak going on, Mike. And he's got it all. I mean, he's got all the cliches and everything. But when you start getting, you know, 12, 13-year veterans that's regurgitating the things that you're saying, like Brandon Graham, and Jason Kelsey, when those guys start speaking the way that he speaks and talking about having a standard and they haven't played up to that standard yet, that's how you know you got buy-in from all the guys around you. 
and 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 that he's a leader and those guys are following. Well, let's talk about Hurts because uh, you're, you're right. It's, it, the progress he has made has been amazing. Now, the simple thing is they get, they get better weapons and that dynamic with Devontae Smith and uh, A.J. Brown has really helped them. But what do, what do you see? Like where uh, this has come pretty quickly. So you got to give the kid credit, but where do you think he's made these strides? You know, I, I think he's made these strides in the offseason. You know, he he's he's resolved himself to get better. I think you saw it begin when he left Alabama as a quarterback, quote unquote, they could not throw the ball. Lincoln Riley worked a miracle in one offseason. So if Lincoln Riley could do that at the collegiate level and he has the desire, Jalen Hurst, to be great and he's going to go outside the scope of what's available to him to search any and every place to get better, then I expect for him to get better. You know, Michael always say, you know, people like to prognosticate and talk about what players can and what players can't do. I'm one of those guys that never do that. I wait for the proof because I was one of those guys that was drafted in the eighth round. Not much was expected of me. And all I need, all I needed and all I wanted was an opportunity. Um, when you're dealing with guys who are mentally strong um, and, and know who they are and are secure in themselves and they're willing to put in the work and they're willing to understand that there's some things I'm good at and some things I'm not good at. And if I step outside of the realm of the, the people that I know to go and find the help for me to get better, that I can get better. You know, I'd rather have that guy than the first round draft pick with all the, you know, all the talent in the world, but doesn't have the work ethic or the want to, or the mental strength to get better. Um, so I just think that, I just think that he wants to be great. He wants to prove the world wrong. Everyone told him that he couldn't throw the ball. He he's proven that he could throw the ball. Everyone told him that he couldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL and I'll be damned if he ain't on the verge of becoming a franchise quarterback in the National Football League. All right. So Sunday was the what we call the what you call the juxtaposition of the quarterback position with the Eagles. It, it is amazing to me how this has flipped. Uh, the other guy was drafted as the franchise quarterback. The other guy went into the tank. And all of a sudden, the guy who was drafted to be a backup, a safety kind of quarterback draftee, now becomes the franchise quarterback. As you're watching that on Sunday, what were you thinking? Uh, listen, I'm I'm 100% blown away. I I am because it, in a lot of ways, there's a part of me that kind of smiles and laughs because, you know, people have no idea how many first-round draft picks, you know, go bust. You, you, you fall in love with the metrics. You fall in love, you know, with, the size, the height, the arm strength, and all of that kind of stuff. But the, but to me, the two things that you can't measure are the most important. You know, what's up here and what's in here and what drives you to be great. Um, and, and, and mental toughness, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think those are three things that, that Jalen Hurts possesses. But I think the mental toughness, um, is the thing that Carson Wentz doesn't possess. And I think that's been his undoing since he's been here. I think he's been coddled. He's been told how great he is. And that's, in my opinion, has been detrimental, you know, to his growth as a quarterback because he came in, had a decent first year, second year, goes on this run. Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, telling him how great he is. And he had a phenomenal year. There's no doubt about it. 
but not everyone is equipped to handle that kind of, you know, that kind of publicity, that kind of adulation. And I don't know whether it just went to his head or what, but he hasn't been able to get out of his own way. And then I also think, you know, it's the ghost of Nick Foles, you know, that's done him in as well. Um, you know, I think ever since he, ever since the Super Bowl was over and he rushed himself back, you know, in week four of the 2018-2019 season, you know, trying to exercise the ghost of Nick Foles has really done him in. Um, you know, it, it trying to make plays, trying to hold on to the ball too long, trying to do too much, not allowing, you know, the guys that, that, that are there to make plays for you to make plays. And, um, I think that's really done him in where you got a guy like Jalen Hurts and all he wants to do is, you know, stack bricks week by week. <laughs> uh, and it's funny. I, I was looking at social media and, and, you know, people couldn't wait to blast Carson Wentz, but there were some Carson Wentz backers still. And uh, I read one that said, uh, well, you know, quarterbacks can develop late in their life. Now, my man's 29 years old and we saw Sunday him making the same mistakes that he that really were, were his undoing, holding on to the ball too long, uh, not securing it in the pocket. It, it, it almost seems like he's incapable of learning progress at all, which to me makes him like he's on the on the way to Journeyville. Is he not? Is he is he on the, on the path to Journeyville? To be honest with you, I think that I think this is his last stop. I don't think he's backup material because in his mind, in his mind. He's an elite level quarterback. Everyone's told him that his entire career, but he's only played elite one year, you know? So I don't see Carson Wentz, if he's not desirable as a starting quarterback, I don't think his ego allows him to be a backup. I think he takes his ball, packs up, you know, goes back, you know, to North Dakota. I really, I really do. Um, It's just, I'm telling you, it's amazing to watch. Listen, I've gone so far sometimes, uh, Mike, as to say, you know, maybe he's not as smart as we think he is, you know, and everybody lambasted. What are you talking about? I mean, he's, listen, I've seen guys, okay, go to the combine and absolutely bomb the Wonderlook test and come into the NFL and they're football savants. Now, they might not be book smart, but they're football smart. Carson Wentz might be book smart, and intellectually, he may be away from football, a very intelligent person. But the way he plays, he plays like a dum-dum on the football field. I'm sorry. Yeah. He, well, he, listen, I, I, I had to hide my eyes on how bad that performance was. And it's like, you know, he's finished to me as a quarterback. Uh, let, let's move on to now what the Eagles have ahead of them. And uh, I, I retweeted a stat that I found the athletic where they have a, uh, an analytics guy who is a, a Vegas oriented and extrapolates uh, point spreads. And the Eagles were the only team in the NFL that th- this analyst determined will be favored in every game they have for the rest of the year. Now uh, I know a lot of that is influenced by the schedule they play, but that's pretty lofty. Uh, are, are they that? Well, I think if you look at their schedule, I mean, they're, they've got the second easiest schedule, um, you know, in the in the National Football League. And then you throw on top of that how explosive they've been on the offensive side of the ball. And if the defense continues to play the way that they played last week, you know, I can buy into that. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule and I'm trying to figure out, okay, which one of these teams 
are really going to give them a test. I mean, you got the Packers, you got the Titans um, that may give them a test. Um, you know, it, the Cowboys looked an absolute mess last night. They looked gettable from a defensive perspective. I thought that they would dominate that game. Um, and they just got by by the skin of their teeth. You know, even though, you know, Dak is out, I'm not so sure that Cooper Rush isn't a better fit for what they really try to do. Um, so as I look at the schedule, I'm trying to see, you know, they got the Steelers. Um, who, who, who on that, on that schedule really scares the hell out of you? You know, does Ryan Tannehill scare you? No. Uh, so I guess what I'm asking based on that is could this team end up with the number one seed in the NFC by the well, end of the year? The, the fact that, you know, they've got the, 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 one of the easiest schedules, the fact that probably the best team they're going to play all year will be the Packers and they can still lose that game and still wind up with the number one seed. They don't have to face the Rams. You know, I think those are the two, you know, biggest foes. Um, Tampa Bay doesn't look like it's going to resuscitate itself, you know, from all the injuries that it's sustaining. Um, I think they're right there. And I think if they can get home field, they can figure out a way to get home field throughout it's going to be very interesting to watch because I believe they win a week, a a first round playoff game. It gets a little more dicey once you get to, you know, the semi round, because now you've got to play one of those other three teams that, in my opinion, are the, you know, top echelon of the, of the conference. Uh, Seth, let me, you know, if I have you here, I have to uh, obviously go back in time because of, uh, you know, the, 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 the most favored defense ever was your defense. And uh, it started with Buddy and then uh, 91, which I think was the best uh, team. Bud Carson was there and Kotite was the head coach. But now we're talking about like the names are just uh, eye popping, you know, with with Clyde and Reggie and and Jerome Brown and whoever else you had at that tackle. And it was Golick or whoever it was with you, uh, uh, Byron Evans, Willie T uh, on the back line, Eric Allen, Andre Waters, uh, Wes Hopkins. I don't even know who the other corner was. Who was the other corner? Ben Smith. All right, Ben, ben Smith, the Georgia kid, the draft pick from Georgia. Uh, so, um, you know, that defense goes down in history. is one of the great defenses. And, and it, it did not bring a Super Bowl. But, like, when you're playing on a defense like that, what, what is that like? Um, I mean, listen, you, you got 11 alpha dogs. And that's that's rare. You know, most of the time you may have – two, maybe three, but you could have taken, you know, each and every one of those guys on, on that defense and threw them some on someone else's defense. And they would have been an alpha on that defense. Um, it was highly competitive, believe it or not, but competitive in a good way, because I've seen competitiveness, you know, destroy a team. Like when I went to Arizona, I, you know, for the longest, I couldn't understand why that team couldn't win because they had great talent. They had, you know, I mean, you go back, I played against Lomax, you know, they had Roar Green and JT Smith. They, they, they had, you know, um, Stump Mitchell. I mean, they had all these guys, you know, um, Louis Sharp, uh, Derek Kennard. I mean, all of these great offensive linemen. And even on the defensive side of the ball, I won't even name some of those guys. And I wonder all these years, I'm like, why is it that this football team cannot win? Oh my God. It was apparent to me when I, be, when I got there and signed there. And I, now I understood why, because when you're a perpetual loser, 
the only solace and the only wins that you have when you play the game is your personal your personal achievements. So now you're not playing for each other. You're just playing for yourself. You know, in Philly, you know, there was no competition from the standpoint, I did better than you. No, no, no. We pushed each other. If Reggie got three sacks, Clyde wanted four. If, four, if Clyde got four, Jerome wanted five. If Andre had, you know, you know, two knockout hits, Wes wanted five. You know, if Ben had, you know, one interception, Eric Allen wanted wanted three. And it was just, it was just that way. And we pushed each other. We pushed each other each and every day. We were highly competitive. And you had a bunch of alpha dogs and we held each other accountable. Because you know what? Still, the eye in the sky don't lie. It ain't nothing worse than sitting in that meeting on Monday morning, watching that film, and you play like crap. And, you know, your guys are looking at you. You, and you. I mean, it's the funniest thing. When you're sitting there and you're watching that film, you can feel the eyes on you when you play a play and you don't – and it's not up to to the standard. You understand what I'm saying? So it was, it was, it was just awesome. I've never – Listen, I won a Super Bowl with with Denver. I went to another Super Bowl with Green Bay. There's, there was nothing like playing with those 10 other guys. Nothing. Uh, listen, we all know you had the love for Buddy, and he created that whole thing. What was the difference when Bud came in? Because sometimes when defensive quarterback comes in and replaces a guy that was beloved, it it doesn't click. But but right. it did. So what, what was the difference? It was funny because, you know, I, I'll tell you a story that I don't often tell. So. You know, we came in for the first minicamp and we were still all pretty pissed off, you know, that they fired Buddy. Um, so we're going through install, but Carson's in, you know, doing installation of the defense. We go out for walkthrough and we're in the huddle and Bud's standing over on the side. We were we were over at the old RFK or JFK Stadium, you know, before they tore it down. Um, I think it's right there presently where the um, you know, where the Wells Fargo Center is now. But we were there for practice, and but signals in the defensive call. And Byron steps in the huddle. He's like, man, the hell with this. You know, 46 all out. And we get up, we break the huddle, and we line up in the 46, and Bud loses it. I mean, absolutely loses it. He's like, you know, I can't believe this nonsense. I didn't come here for this. And Jerome turned to him, hey, we didn't ask you to come here anyway. He gets in his car <laughs> and leaves and leaves practice. I mean, he leaves. Leaves the rock. Jerome did? No, Bud. Bud left practice. Bud left. You know, I mean, he was pissed. <laughs> he, was ab- he was absolutely pissed. And then, you know, as time went on, we began to understand who he was because I didn't know who the hell he was. You know, when I researched him, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the dude that orchestrated the steel curtain and then once we understood who he was and we began to look at you know his defensive philosophies in a lot of ways he was he was extremely aggressive too he just wasn't as overly aggressive as bud as buddy was um and once we saw you know and bought into what he was selling from a defensive perspective and realized that we could win with this defense that you know that that this guy knew what the hell he was doing, um, it flipped everything. It completely flipped everything. I mean, they're, they're, all of a sudden there began, there was this respect that, you know, we as players had for him. And then, you know, in turn, that respect grew in the other direction. But it didn't start out good at all. 
so he he actually became uh, a very well respected guy who who actually had to overcome the head coach who was not a very well respected guy. They, they so, should they, they should have hired him as the head coach instead of the other clown. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Rich Kotai. Uh, last question, uh, Reggie White. Uh, I, you know, listen. Uh, people in this town were captivated by him. I could never take my eyes off him uh, during, during a football game. And, uh, well, here's the one thing about Reggie. And, and this is where I want to bring you in because you were a guy who was a perfectionist. You played hard all the time, even in practice. Reggie did not like to practice. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, if, if you ever rubbed up against Reggie that way. Um, oh, absolutely. Because you, you got you know, his butt, you, you ever get in his butt about not wanting to practice. I got in his butt about not wanting to practice. I got in his butt, you know, even in a game. I can remember we were playing a game one time, and it was like, it was damn near minus five. And, you know, Reggie was standing over there. He had his, you know, he used to stand like this with his hands like this. You can't see. But when he was cold, he would kind of shiver. And his lips were white. And I'm like, Reggie, I'm like, focus your mind, man. You know, it's yeah, it's cold. But we out here trying to dominate this damn game. You know, I'm like, get your mind right, man. Let's go. I mean, I, and, and I'm looking at him. I'm, and the thing I used to love to do is I used to love to get in the huddle and look in guys' eyes. Because there's nothing, there's no greater telltale sign than looking in a guy's eyes to understand who's there and who's probably checked out and who needs a little bit of kick in the ass. You know what I'm saying? And you know, believe it or not, people always thought that Reggie was the leader of the defense. Jerome was actually the leader of the defense. I mean, he was the guy that, you know, he was the guy that everybody looked to towards. Reggie was just, you know, a freak of nature. He was just a dominant player. And a lot of times, Reggie only played about 75%. You know, I mean, what people don't realize is that when you pissed him off, that's when you really saw true greatness, you know, because it, most of the time he just didn't understand. He didn't, he didn't know his strength, his speed, you know, his ability to dominate. Like, you know, I can remember a guy cussing at him and Reggie's like, you know, hey, man, I'm I'm a man of the cloth. You know, don't use that profanity at me. And the guy just looked at him like, are you out of your mind? And he just <laughs> continues on. And two plays later, two plays later, we break the huddle and Reggie looks at the guy and he's like, oh, okay. So you don't want to listen, right? Okay. Jesus is coming, man. Let me tell you, Reggie beat that guy like a war drum the rest of the day. Cause he pissed him off, you know, but for, for the most part, Reggie was just like a, he was like a big kid, man. All he wanted to do was do impersonations, crack jokes, thought he was a comedian. Um, but you know, Listen, God knows what he's doing when he gives certain people certain talents. Because if he would have gave me that kind of talent, oh, I'd have been destructive, man. I'd have been destructive. But he gave he gave that kind of talent to Reggie because Reggie had the right type of, you know, persona, you know, to be able to deal with it. Because it, it, that kind of power in the wrong hands would be destructive. Seth, I, listen, man, thank you for joining me. We really appreciate it. Uh, uh, and if, if people don't know, uh, Seth and I, with Derek Gunn and Devin Caney, they're doing a great post-game show. I think it's great. We're live at the Ocean Casino. You can see it on 6abc.com, Jacob Media Sports YouTube channel. Uh, uh, having a lot of fun with you guys. And so uh, 
Uh, I'll see you this weekend. We'll be there. Let's do it. All right, man. Thanks. <laughs> All right. You got it. All right. All right. Let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. Camp is going to begin at the Citadel next Tuesday. That's in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, well, the boys are going to have some good dinners because they venture out of camp. There's some great restaurants in Charleston. I was there recently, uh, but that's beside the point. The Sixers look like the most complete team they've ever had under Doc Rivers. All right. Uh, they've got a new starter in P.J. Tucker, who's now been cleared to play. He'll be starting at the four. They also added Montrell's Harrell for the backup center. Good acquisition. Better than certainly what they've had, especially with that DeAndre Jordan. Is he still in the league, by the way? DeAndre, do you, do you run to the bank with a mask to cash that check? Anyway, they got Daniel House. They got DeAnthony Melton. Their bench has been strengthened. You, know, you used to go to the bench and not have a worthy guy coming off the bench. So with Daniel House, uh, DeAnthony Melton, uh, you still have Shake Milton there. You've got Niang. You've got some guys now that come off the bench and give you a little something. They are the most complete team. With what's going on in Boston, and, of course, Milwaukee's still going to be good, and, uh, you know, you always had the Miami Heat. But the Sixers, really, the way they look right now, and uh, did I forget one team? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that team in Brooklyn. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Ben Simmons is going to make them championship team. That's what I'm hearing from all these Nets fans up there. So I guess I'll include them in the picture since Kyrie can play every game right now. Uh, but the Sixers are right there. And uh, we can't wait for a Sixers season to start. This is the perfect time of the year when football collides with college football, which collides with NBA basketball, which collides with NHL hockey. Um, we may talk about the Flyers on this podcast for at least three minutes the entire season. So stay tuned uh, for all that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is a great time. All right. And also, let's not forget about postseason baseball. And I know people are they're frantic out there, Philly fans. You, you guys are all over the place. I, I hear from you all the time. I hear from you on, on Twitter. By the way, you can get to me on Twitter, MikeMiss25, or you can also email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. I'd love to hear your emails. But people are scared that the Phillies are not going to get into the playoffs. So let's analyze. Ten left for the Phillies. They have 83 wins on the board. They finish on the road. Three at the Cubs, three, four at Washington, and three at Houston. The Brewers have 82 wins. They have nine left. They're all at home. So let's take it a step at a time. Phillies at the Cubs, three games. I got to think they'll be able to win two in Chicago. All right? So there's two on the board. At Washington, four-game series. I'm going to estimate this conservatively. Just say they split with Washington. They shouldn't. They should win a three or four. But even if they win two, that's four now on the board. Then at Houston, the Astros have nothing to play for. They're just milking out the season. The Phillies should win two of those three in Houston. That's six wins. That gives them 89. All right, now keep 89 in mind. Let's go to the Brewers. All at home. The Cardinals for two. Cardinals still have to win. I'll say the Brewers win one of two. The Marlins, four games. They could win three. But let's just say they win two. And then Arizona, they win two of the three. Even if you give them three over the Marlins, uh, I've got it five on the board. If they win three against the Marlins, that's six. That ain't enough. But even if they win one more than the Phillies, that's not enough either. Because if the teams remain tied, the Phillies win the tiebreaker. They won the season series with Milwaukee. So I don't know why everybody's worried. I just laid it out mathematically. There is no way. Unless the Phillies completely melt down against bad teams, the Cubs in Washington, and a Houston team 
that, that's really not going to be that competitive in those last three games. The Phillies are a lock for the playoffs. And I'll give you something else. It's okay for them to just make it. I'll take the sixth spot better than I'll take the fifth spot. If they finish sixth, they play the Cardinals three games in St. Louis. If they finish fifth, they're going to have to play the Braves. So I'll take it. They're going to get in. They're going to get the sixth spot. They're going to have a fighting chance against the St. Louis Cardinals. Stop your worrying. All right. Let me update you on the uh, the picks for last week. I am now eight and four on the season. I was I wanted to be nine and three, but the Giants let me down last night. I thought they could win that game against the Cowboys. I was dead wrong. So I am eight and four on the season. Last week's selections, as we followed along in college, Syracuse won the game. They didn't cover. They were up big. They gave it up. They didn't cover. Wake Forest. I thought that could be an outright. They went to overtime. They lost to Clemson, but they covered. And then Minnesota, well, that was a great play. Minnesota was actually a three-point favorite in East Lansing against Michigan State. Minnesota might be all right this year. That they win the game at Michigan State, they cover the number. Um, in the NFL, I had the Browns on a Thursday night. That was a win. I had the Packers over Tampa Bay. That was a win. And the Giants lost. All right. So 8-4 is not bad. Again, go to the Bet Rivers app. It's a great app. Download Bet Rivers app or uh, Sugar House app, whichever one comes up, and uh, you can follow along. They have some great bets and some, some great uh, uh, parlays and some great odds boost and all that kind of thing. Bet Rivers, it's a fantastic app. Uh, all right, let's close it out with a parting thought. I always like to give you a parting thought. So uh, I'm big on television. I will talk a lot about television in this podcast. And uh, some of my favorite shows, uh, listen, I'll go down a list of favorite shows, but I'm rewatching Succession. If you've watched Succession, you can rewatch that thing because it has the best writing of any show I've ever seen. It's not my favorite show of all time. The Wire is my favorite show of all time. Sopranos second, Succession's third. But if you want to rewatch something you've already watched, and I'm doing it now, the dialogue is just fabulous. It'll blow your socks off. Uh, so, uh, you know, I flip around, see what new shows are going on. I like the documentaries or I like the, 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 uh, the, the reenacted uh, murder mysteries. Um, the staircase is one I'm looking at right now. It's on HBO. That was about the author in Durham, North Carolina, whose wife fell down the steps. He said she she died falling down the steps. He was convicted. They said he he uh, uh, he beat her up, and that's how she fell. Whatever. Uh, I like that. But this new uh, documentary is on. It's it, re- it really it's acted. It's a documentary that's acted by actors called Dahmer. And, I'm, and I struggled with it. Like a Dahmer. You know, this is the guy who, who killed people and he took their heads and he froze them and the whole thing. So uh, I, I start to watch the first scene and, and it's Dahmer in front of a sink wiping off a bloody knife. And I said to myself, why in hell would I be interested in this? Why on earth would I care about Jeffrey Dahmer and, and, and watch his bloody knife after he cut somebody's head off? So I'm out. I don't care how good that thing is. I'm out. There's no socially uh, beneficial reason for you to make a, a, a documentary on, on a serial killer, crazy wacko like Jeffrey Dahmer. Why is that interesting to people? It's not interesting to me. Anyway, this is Mike Missinelli. This has been podcast number four of the Mike Missinelli podcast. We'll be back at you later in the week. I hope everybody's having a good time. Uh, and this is brought to us by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget the Bet Rivers app. On Thursday, I will have my selections for the weekend. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. 
If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.